I'm Sam Mariana Fataki. I'm a professor of business ethics at Warwick Business School in Organizations and Human Resource Management Group. Thank you very much for joining us today, Mariana. Um, could you begin by describing to us what business ethics is? What is it, what is it for you? Mm. So business ethics is about um, norms and values that are deemed acceptable by society and by which standards business are held to account for their actions, for their influences and impacts on society, okay. including their customers, including uh, the employees, including the communities in which they operate. Would you say one of the things that I'm picking up as I as I, I read, um, I'm interested in people's understanding of the difference between ethics and business ethics, and I think there's a, mm -hmm. you know, there are interesting range of responses to that. But for you, <laughs> is is there a difference? Of course, there is a difference, and I start very provocatively my teaching with students when I say business ethics and oxymoron. Is it, an, is it not a contradiction in terms, indeed? And for many people it is because of the very inherent nature of conflict involved in uh, business and ethics itself. However, increasingly, I think it is impossible to avoid bringing the two together because, uh, in my personal view, businesses don't emerge from nowhere. They don't operate in a vacuum. They are uh, organically grown from societies in which they operate and whether we um, like it or not, they have a tremendous impact, both positive and negative. And the ethical considerations enter here into this equation in terms of actually us as societies deciding what is acceptable in terms of what sort of businesses do we consider acceptable starting from a very fundamental point. Secondly, what sort of consequences that businesses can have in societies are deemed desirable and which are less desirable. And this is, of course, changing over time. This is not stable. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, yes, I think it's not such an oxymoron as it initially appears to be mm -hmm. because all choices, every activity has implications. In that sense, every activity has ethical implications as mm -hmm. well including mm. business activities, of mm. course. Mm. And I'm hoping this is something that, you know, the students will, you know, what they, they'll continue to explore and question and in their own readings and understandings and what sense-making we do along the way. Mm. I'll be interested to revisit that, that question with, with the students at the end of the module. Um, one of the terms that I'm particularly interested in is this idea of, of embodied ethics mm. um, and for me I can uh, I make sense of that as a, as a creative practitioner as um, somebody who does their sense making with their whole body in the sense of of how we practice how we live by some of the decisions that we make but I wondered how you might explain that term embodied ethics to a, an undergraduate audience Mm, that's a very interesting question, Rachel, and thank you for asking me that question because at the moment I'm just actually writing on these issues ah. on embodied ethics and I'm using feminist ethics indeed to just introduce that concept. 
But I think um, the most important thing is very fundamental. We are all embodied human beings. When we come to work, we come with our whole being, including who we are, mm. how we look, how we feel, in which, po in which point in time we find ourselves in, um, during the day or in our lives. Mm. So um, also we experience the world through our bodies and we feel happy. So affect is so important. Uh, we are motivated to do something at work because it um, gives us a drive. It stirs us up and we feel that in our body. We also are motivated uh, to action and uh, to certain responses to other human beings through affective um, encounters, I would say. So, for example, my very recent work with the refugees, you know, in a Greek island was taught me even more about the importance of embodied ethics. So just very briefly, it is like this. It goes like this. When refugees arrive on, in a small uh, Greek village and just a few hundred inhabitants, and you have like thousands, tens of thousands of refugees arriving consecutively, at the beginning, people don't want those people to arrive. They speak foreign language, they look differently. But when they see them actually, you know, arriving in the midst of the night, distraught, soaked in, in you know, seawater, and frightened children for crying and all that, something very strange happens. They don't expect themselves to happen. Mm. And that is, they are, um, you know, how, how can I say, they're motivated to respond. It's not even motivated. Their bodies carry them yeah. forward, if you see what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. And that is very interesting, actually. So our bodies can surprise us, you know. And I think ignoring that aspect, um, impoverishes our ethical considerations. So in that sense, also, um, we are, um, you know, uh, various, uh, various um, how can I say, um, various attributes are given to us according to how we look and who we are. Mm. So that also creates ethical, um, ethical um, implications for the workplace, in the workplace, actually. So um, I think that considering the body in all its potential responses and its historical, um, how can I say, historical meanings mm. the body had mm. or has even still, is quite important for ethics at the workplace. Mm. Is, would that be easy it, for yeah. an undergraduate to understand? I, 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 I think so. It's this, it's this idea, isn't it, that, um, and I, not to say it's overlooked in business education, but I think sometimes it's, as you'd say, there's something that the body is reacting and responding before any anything else, you know, in terms of what we think we're going to think or how we think we're going to feel. We're not going to know that until it's in that moment. And it's Absolutely. actually the, an embodied encounter. Absolutely. And also, I think, in, um, in, in, in the way in which we talk about this, we, we encounter the body first, even if it's it's you know split second we we've encountered the whole we're making judgments decisions based oh. upon before words are formed are spoken and i i'm very interested in how you know in terms of business education very pragmatically for example there is this very well known fact that people decide very quickly whether they want to appoint you during the interview and I'm told that the decision is made in a split second, as you say, when a person enters a room, in fact, and of course the image makers and, you know, PR people just really make use of it in terms of how they 
you know, coach politicians and public personas, uh, you know, how they coach yeah. their appearances and their emotional impact yeah. and their embodied impact they can have on their constituencies. Yeah. So, or, or even selling goods. I mean, the ads, they are quite clearly working on our affects through, through the body, mm. indeed. So, so, you know, we live in the uh, age of visuality, as some other people would say, yeah. of the image, indeed. And we perceive the world through the image. Okay, that's one part of the embodied, of, of, of embodiment. But the image creates other sensations in us, you know, yes. and this is quite important. And, and the impact we have on, our peop on other people mm. quite clearly at the workplace. That's quite important as well, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's, and I think we'll keep um, revisiting that sense of self and the impact or the potential impact that we can, you know, have. So just let me say just one final thing on that, the eth ethics of the body, so to speak. I think uh, the very basic thing for me, philosophically speaking, but also very practically, is our relatedness to other humans, how we react to others. Mm. And I think this is very ignored in business, uh, in a sense, the relationality aspect, not just at the workplace, but actually in the wider community, uh, which brings me to the business ethics initially, to your initial yes. question, in which I would like to actually explore further, both practically in my teaching practices and theoretically in my research, you know, uh, how relationality can transform our business practice or business models. Mm. So no man is an island, mm. as a poet would say. Mm. And I think um, the aesthetics of embodiment are, are a very powerful source, I, I think, that could actually help us changing and enriching the understanding of our practices, both business practices and teaching practices mm. as well. And you've been very useful in that way, Rachel. Oh, well, no, and I hope, you know, to continue that way. And maybe it's because of the kinds of questions, you know, different perspectives that you occupy that make you look at something like ethics, but come at it, you know, from a, just a slightly different, different perspective. So to, to what extent do you think ethics is actually a, a function of learning? I mean, uh, learning is about disrupting our certainties, first of all. And learning is really about unlearning, mm -hmm. questioning our mm -hmm. assumptions. So in that sense, if we, and my goal as an educator would be to actually make uh, my students at least um, a little bit, um, how can I say, make them pause, feel a bit uncomfortable, feel, oh my God, is that so? How can that be? Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, uncomfortable slightly, mm -hmm. if you see what I'm saying, because, you know, learning involves discomfort. Yeah. In that sense, it is an embodied practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we want to change our business models uh, towards bigger inclusivity, and if we want to include the relationality aspect mm -hmm. as a core, I think uh, learning has to be about ethical practices, about shifting towards, uh, you know, um, more relational practices, basically, both at our immediate environment, mm. by, but more broadly as well, in terms of the impact our actions have on other people who are close to us and who are more distant to us as well. Mm. Because business has that fundamental, you know, impact in terms of immediate customers, consumers, colleagues, but it also has actually an impact on 
people in distant places. I mean, look at our students. They come from, I mean, yeah. every continent, literally. So yeah. hopefully they take something with themselves. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like to just take that a little further into, I, su I suppose, the sense of the in, an organization and how an organization learns, you know, about itself and what role ethics play in an organization's self-understanding does that you know in recognition of the other in terms of you know it's various stakeholder groups um, but rather than that resting on a on a self-assurance making themselves uncomfortable or perhaps you know disturbing some of their sense of assurance you know and which boils down sometimes i guess to asking themselves difficult or perhaps challenging you know aspects of themselves and and whether ethics can be used in in that way as a as a process of of self learning or organizational learning well if we go to the fundamental definition of ethics about acceptable norms and basically about um, what's considered uh, right or wrong uh, or acceptable even more softly yeah, put yeah, it more softly yeah. I think organizations are crucially important places because uh, we spend an ever-increasing, sadly, sadly, I stress that, an ever-increasing part of our lives uh, at work. Mm. It is the way it is. Um, it's a very important source of our identity, our working lives mm. are an important, not the only, but a very important yeah. part of our identity. And this, this is the space where we derive actually our sense of well self-worth not the only how thankfully because we are also you yeah. know having relationships and other meaningful activities outside the workplace but work is very important so in that sense um, um, a working organization that is able to provide that space where people can at the very minimum feel uh, comfortable, that's a basic thing, safe, mm. so to speak, mm. then they can be more creative, they can mm. experiment more, obviously. Mm. That's good for the individuals, that's good for the organization. So only the organization that can accept that level of disruption, discomfort, uh, ha stands a chance of surviving in the medium term, not even in the long term. Mm. And I think organizations that don't offer uh, those things, this ethical, um, kind of uh, ethical spaces in which people can be themselves as well as actually discovering their potentialities, so mm. to speak, uh, and also feeling comfortable, really, feeling uh, deriving source of meaning. One word would be meaning here. You know, I mean, people would leave such organizations. Mm. They will, in, in the long term, they will leave, and in the short term, they will just underperform, yeah. to use the language of business. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And will not be happy. Yeah, I mean that's that's, yeah. that's that's the most important aspect of it. I'd I'd say. Okay, thank you. Um, you've conducted, or you know, I know there's a number of um, research activities at the moment. One thing um, that's recently come up in the um, in uh, on my WBS is a piece of research you've been doing into whistleblowing. Oh, indeed, yes. Um, can you just in brief just give us a definition of what a or who a whistleblower is? Okay, well, so a whistleblower is a person who is actually speaking up uh, in order to protect the public interest and maintain his or her norms of professional integrity, mm -hmm. I'd say, both. So maybe whistleblower is um, 
uh, a misnomer in a way mm. and has a bit of a bad press, mm. right? Because mm. it comes from like football or something, sports, yeah. right? Or police, yeah. like a person who is making a big noise and a cute kind of a noise to draw attention to, to, to something that's happening or shouldn't be happening. Yeah. In that sense, okay, the, I can see why yeah. this um, this uh, this um, this kind of term has been kind of so popular. On the other hand, I just want to stress that there is a big misconception: whistleblowers are people who are most, in most cases, the most loyal employees, who have a very high sense of um, uh, um, integrity, mm. and um, and they just think kind of about upholding that. Mm, norms of the profession. So again, there's an ethical dimension, a very important ethical dimension to this norms of the profession. Mm. And very often it's just their job, actually. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. compliance officers or anti-money laundering officers in the finance industry. It's just their job. Yeah. And it's an interesting... Um, so they try to do their job well. Yeah. In other yeah, words... That, that, you're right. That the, you know, the term itself is something that's kind of detrimental to actually somebody speaking truth to power in in that speaking sense speaking truth to power and the defenders of the public interest i'd like to to yeah. to, to put it in those terms in most cases these are the defenders of the public interest mm. and actually in their majority they don't imagine that they will find themselves in the spotlight and there is another misconception about this. Uh, so whistleblowers are seen as people who seek attention, narcissists yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And of course, there are people like that, obviously. But in most cases, I mean, uh, speaking up and going externally to the mm. press is a measure of the last resort. Yeah. So th these people first go to the ma line managers, yeah. then they go above their line managers and so on. And of course, their disclosures are uh, you mm. know, ignored and then... They have no other yeah. choice. So actually, it's being you know someone who's picked on something and and, and following through those those kind of I suppose organisational challenges channels where you would you know report or um, you know bring to the attention of something that something wasn't quite right or that there was so something that actually could be you know managed on a small es you know the way it escalates because the person has no other means of being heard. That's absolutely right, that's absolutely right. And, 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 and when we look at the nature of disclosures, these are really very serious issues. So, and they have saved our skin, so to speak. Mm, mm. <laughs> so, mm, we all do to whistleblowers, you know, I mean, you know, we, we owe them a lot. Like, so for example, they, many whistleblowers have drawn our attention to various security threats, food, health scandals, um, so, you know, important issues as well as in the finance and banking industry and one of the projects that I've been involved in dealt specifically with this sector. You know, these were the people who tried to actually, you know, warn us about the impending mm. disaster. But mm. of course, they, they're, they're, they were just shut down and of course destroyed in the process. I mean... And that's something very important that we have to know, that the whistleblowers pay a disproportionately high price for their bravery. Yes. You know, their livelihoods are destroyed, they yeah. will never work in the industry, their yeah. families suffer, there's a financial disaster, and of course there's a mental health issue that follows many of such yeah. cases because of the sheer pressure and retaliation that they experience. Mm. And yet, you know, we talk about that in the name of, of acting responsibly and you know it's something we'll 
you know, come back to within within the module and again, asking difficult questions and students, you know, opinions about that and but but making room to explore some of the the impact, the, the consequences, um, not just an organisational level, but actually what's happening to people's lives, um, to their families, um, and a, and I'm not always sure that we're engaging with the the bigger picture. You know, when we when we start to kind of talk about social responsibility and oh, you know, ethical behaviour, um, I'm I'm going to ask one final question I'm conscious um, of, of time what do you think you know given what we've spoken about up to this point what do you think are some of the implications for 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 us here at WBS and um, what and how we teach our students you know what what are some of the yeah the ways in which we can be responding to the challenges of um, business ethics and what what they look like in practice when they are embodied. I see. Oh, I, I have a few things to say on this. So uh, first of all, I think we we actually have to change the content of what we teach. And of course, many of my colleagues are doing just that. Mm. And um, I myself, within my limited means, I'm trying to introduce, first of all, much more diverse content of um, of actually in uh, of, of what i teach in my curriculum so let me be specific when you have like 50 students in your classroom who come from another part of the world or for example china you know it's very difficult to speak uh, to them about metaphors that are culturally specific yeah. right so so even such a simple thing trying to use case studies and examples that are more closer to the students lived reality mm. So on the very basic level, then expanding the topics. I mean, I think if we talk about responsibility and ethics, we have to talk about poverty, human rights, uh, inequalities, and, and these are directly linked to how we run our businesses. And uh, hopefully this uh, very young young students of ours will hopefully take something from, from, actually, from, actually, from what we offer to them in their future work. So that's number two. And number three, quite importantly, I think we have to actually uh, teach, uh, more, use more experiential methods. I understand these are expensive, require skill, commitment, etc. But actually, this is what students value. Indeed, when they can be exposed themselves, both in terms of field trips or actually them being involved, in the areas that uh, that are outside their comfort zone, so that it can be a growth opportunity for themselves, but also an opportunity for them to do things differently. So, um, so, um, so taking them out of the comfort zone, but also within the classroom, you can also uh, take them out of the comfort zone mm. in the way that you do, Rachel, for example, through actual embodied practices. I mean, drama is and a fantastic resource for them to just not merely use their brains, mm. but actually their whole human being, their body, their in body. acting their leadership, yeah. in acting their, uh, in, in trying to negotiate the conflicts mm. with each other, you know, in a simulated way. I think they really enjoy this kind of things because it has an impact on their whole being. Yeah. Mariana, I could talk to you 
forever about this. It's always <laughs> um, fascinating, and I, you know, always feel very privileged to be able to have those insights. So thank you very much for your but time. But you inspire me, Rachel, and I, I really value this opportunity uh, actually to talk to you. And thank you very much for giving me that opportunity. Thank you.